Lesson 11 for September 7 through 13, Living the Advent Hope, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, September 7. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as we open your word again. We're looking this week at an important subject, living the Advent hope. How do we do that? Are we so righteous that we forget to help those around us? Are we so concerned for those around us that we share the word with them, that we help them in their need? Please help us as we understand your word this week. May your Holy Spirit guide us and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our memory text this week is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Let's read that again. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Jesus announced the kingdom of God as a present reality that we can be part of today. He sent his disciples to make the same announcement and to enact his kingdom through preaching the gospel and by serving others, that is, by giving as freely as they had received, as we read in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 8. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. But Jesus also was clear that his kingdom was a different kind of kingdom, not of this world, it says in John 18.36, and yet to come in full. By his incarnation, ministry, death and resurrection, the kingdom of God was inaugurated. But Jesus also looked forward to a time his kingdom would fully replace the kingdoms of the world, and God's reign would be made complete. By definition, Adventists, those who await this coming and this kingdom, are people of hope. But this hope is not only about a future new world. While hope looks to the future, hope transforms the present now. With such hope, we live in the present as we expect to in the future, and we begin working to make a difference now in ways that fit with how we expect the world will one day be. Sunday, September 8. How long, O Lord? Throughout the Bible's story, there is a repeated call from God's people, particularly those experiencing slavery, exile, oppression, poverty, or other injustice or tragedy, for God to intervene. 
The slaves in Egypt, the Israelites in Babylon, and many others called out to God to see and hear their sufferings and to right these wrongs. And the Bible offers significant examples of God's actions to rescue and restore His people, at times even taking revenge on their oppressors and enemies. But these rescues were usually short-lived, and the various prophets continued to point forward to a final intervention, when God would put an end to evil and lift up the downtrodden. At the same time, these prophets continued the cry, How long, O Lord? For example, the angel of the Lord asked about the exile of the Israelites in Zechariah 1.12, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy? The Psalms are full of laments about the apparent prosperity and good fortune of the wicked, while the righteous are abused, exploited, and poor. The psalmist repeatedly calls on God to intervene, trusting that the world is not presently ordered in the way God created it or desires it, and taking up the cry of the prophets and oppressed, How long, O Lord? Let's look at Psalm 94, verses 3 through 7. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. In a sense, Injustice is more difficult to endure among those who believe in a just God who desires justice for all his people. The people of God will always have a sense of impatience about evil in the world, and God's seeming inaction is another source of impatience. Thus, the sometimes harsh questions of the prophets, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 2. A similar cry is taken up in the New Testament, where even creation itself is portrayed as groaning for God to rescue and recreate, as we read in Romans 8 verses 19 to 22. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, this cry, How long, O Lord, is taken up on behalf of those who have been martyred for their faith in God. But it is the same cry, calling on God to intervene on behalf of his oppressed and persecuted people. So to finish the day, read Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, what is Jesus saying about God's response to the repeated cries and prayers of his people for him to act in their behalf. How is this linked to the need for faith? Luke 18, beginning at verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, 
There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard him. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said? And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Monday, September 9, A Certain Kind of Hope Religion has often been criticised for a tendency to draw believers away from life here and now towards some better afterlife. The criticism is that the focus on another realm becomes a form of sanctified escapism and renders the believer of less benefit to the world and to society. At times, believers have left themselves open to such criticism, sometimes even cultivating, preaching and practising these kinds of attitudes. And, too, we have terrible examples of those in power telling the poor and oppressed just to accept their sad lot now, because when Jesus returns, all will be made right. Yes, our world is a fallen, broken and tragic place, and there is nothing wrong or misplaced in longing for when God will set the world right, when he will bring an end to injustice, pain and sorrow, and when he will replace the current disorder with his glorious and righteous kingdom. After all, without that hope, without that promise, we really have no hope at all. In his sermon at the end of the world, which we'll read about later in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus spent the first half of his discourse detailing the need for escape, even getting to the point of saying that if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. Matthew 24, verse 22. But this is more an introduction to his explanation of the significance of these promises to God. To focus solely or even primarily, on the escape aspects of the Christian hope for the future, is to miss some of the deeper points Jesus was making. Question, read Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25. What are the most important points from your reading of this sermon of Jesus? How would you summarize Jesus' instructions for how we are to live as we wait for his return? Matthew 24 beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, 
Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved." And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is on the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then, if anyone says to you, Look, here is Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, Look, he is in the desert, do not go out, or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things, know that it is near, at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and 
took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, The bridegroom is coming! Go out to meet him! Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming." For the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two, gained two more also." But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his lord's money. After a long time, the lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. 
His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping what you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him, who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, and take you in, or naked, and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. What we believe about the future has important implications for how we live now. A healthy reliance on the promises of God about his future for our world should be the catalyst for energetic engagement, the spark for a life that is rich and deep and makes a difference to others. So to finish today, how can and should the hope and promise of Jesus' return impact how we live now, especially in the context of helping those in need?
Tuesday, September 10, Resurrection Hope The Christian hope in the second coming of Jesus is not just about looking forward to a bright future. For the early Christians, the bodily resurrection of Jesus gave the promise of his return a solid reality. If he could come back from the dead, which they had witnessed for themselves, he would surely come back to complete the project of removing sin and its effect and renewing the world, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22 to 23. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. For the Apostle Paul, the resurrection was the key element of the Advent hope. He was prepared to stake the credibility of everything he preached on this crowning miracle in the story of Jesus, as he writes in 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Think about his words here, and how important the resurrection of Christ is to all that we hope for. Question, read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. How would you explain to an interested believer why the truth of the resurrection is so pivotal to Christian hope? 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Witnessing the resurrected Jesus transformed the first disciples. As we have seen, Jesus had previously sent them out to announce and enact the kingdom of God, but Jesus' death shattered their courage and smashed their hopes. Matthew 10, verses 5 to 8. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Their later commission in Matthew 28, 18-20, given by the resurrected Jesus and powered by the coming of the Holy Spirit, set them on the path of changing the world and living out the kingdom that Jesus had established. Matthew 28, verse 18-20, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Acts chapter 2, 
verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Freed from the power and fear of death, the early believers lived and shared courageously in the name of Jesus, as we see, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 30 and 31. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. The evil that brings death is the same evil that brings suffering, injustice, poverty and oppression in all their forms. Yet, because of Jesus and his victory over death, all of this will one day end. 1 Corinthians 15.26 reads, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So to finish the day, in the end, no matter whom we help now, they will all eventually die anyway. What does this harsh truth teach us about how important it is to let others know of the hope they can find in the death and resurrection of Jesus? Wednesday, September 11. Judgment Hope. Question. Read Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 14. In what ways do you see the stark and powerful reality of what is written here? Ecclesiastes 8, beginning at verse 14. There is a vanity which occurs on earth, that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. While suffering, oppression and tragedy are hard enough to bear in their own right, the injury or insult is harder still if it appears to be meaningless and unnoticed. The possible meaninglessness of sorrow is heavier than its initial burden. A world without record or final justice is the ultimate in cruel absurdity. No wonder atheists writers in the 20th century lamented about what they believed was the absurdity of the human condition. With no hope of justice, no hope of judgment, no hope of things being made right, ours would indeed be an absurd world. But the cry of Ecclesiastes 8.14 is not the end of the story. At the end of his protests, Solomon makes a sudden turn. In the midst of his laments about meaninglessness, he says essentially, Hold on a minute, God is going to judge. So everything is not meaningless. In fact, now everything and everyone matters. Question, read Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. What does this tell us about just how important all that we do here is? Ecclesiastes 12, beginning at verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments 
for that is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The hope of judgment comes down to what one believes about the core nature of God, life, and the world in which we live. As we've seen, the Bible insists that we live in a world that God created and loves, but a world that has gone wrong and in which God is working toward his plan for recreation, all through the life and death of Jesus. God's judgment is a key part of his setting our world right. For those on the receiving end of so many of the world's wrongs, those who have been marginalised, brutalised, oppressed and exploited, the promise of judgment is surely good news. So to finish the day, what does it mean to you to know that one day, and in ways we can't imagine, the justice that we so much long for now will finally come? How can we draw hope from this promise? Thursday, September 12. No more tears or pain. Question, read Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5, and Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5, and spend some time trying to imagine what life will be like as described here. Why is it difficult to imagine life without sin, death, pain, and tears? Revelation 21, beginning at verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes." There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And the next chapter, Revelation 22, beginning at verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign for ever and ever. The Bible's description of our life after sin are unquestionably wonderful and glorious, and no doubt barely represent what is awaiting us. Even in these verses, the descriptions are almost as much about what won't be there as what will be there. When this world is all we have known, it can be hard to imagine life without pain and suffering, death and fear, injustice and poverty. Not only is there no more of these things, 
but this description adds a personal touch. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 21 verse 4. In the context of those who have been saved, God's compassion for those who have suffered throughout human history reaches a climax in this single sentence. Not only does he bring an end to their suffering, but he personally wipes away their tears. Battered and scarred by a life of sin and a world of injustice and tragedy, we can see in the book of Revelation hints of a process of healing for all of us who have been victims of sin in many different ways. Describing the tree of life, John explains that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations in Revelation 22 verse 2. Again, God shows his understanding of and compassion for what it has meant to be human, to feel, experience, witness, and even participate in the evil of this world. His plan for recreating our world includes restoring and healing each of us. Until then, we seek to be all that we can be in Christ, doing our part as faltering and small as our parts might be to minister to those around us who need what we have to offer. Whatever it is we can do, kind words, a warm meal, medical help, dental work, clothing, counselling, we should be doing with the kind, self-abnegating, self-denying, self-sacrificing love that Jesus manifested when he was here. Of course, the world is still going to get worse and worse, despite our best efforts. Jesus knew that, yet this truth didn't stop him from ministering to others, and it shouldn't stop us either. Friday, September 13. From Ellen White's The Great Controversy, page 654, we read, When the voice of God turns the captivity of his people, there is a terrible awakening of those who have lost all in the great conflict of life. While probation continued, they were blinded by Satan's deceptions, and they justified their course of sin. The rich prided themselves upon their superiority to those who were less favoured, but they had obtained their riches by violation of the law of God. They had neglected to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to deal justly, and to love mercy. They have sold their souls for earthly riches and enjoyments, and have not sought to become rich toward God. The result is, their lives are a failure. Their pleasures are now turned to gall, their treasures to corruption, and on page 678, the great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things, animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that God is love. End of quote. And that brings us to our 
Two discussion questions for this week. 1. Explain how what you have studied this week demonstrates that life here and now matters. Compare this with the belief some hold that we need not worry about this life and this world because God will destroy it all and start again. How can we be careful too not to use this truth of the promise of new existence to neglect those in need? After all, in the end, God will make it all right. Even more important, how can we make sure we don't become one of those who have used this truth to exploit others? 2. The Seventh-day Adventist understanding of Bible prophecy expects evil, trouble and suffering to increase as we get nearer to the return of Jesus. When such things happen, we often refer to Matthew 24. How should we view these tragedies in the light of Matthew 25? And to summarise this week's lesson, our God will not allow evil to continue forever. The Bible's great hope is the return of Jesus to bring an end to evil, to heal injustice, and to create a new world as it was meant to be. Built on the resurrection of Jesus, this hope transforms today and gives courage to our service for God and others as we wait for his return. Inside Story Our mission story today is titled Television Draws People and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. As a child in New Zealand, Coralie Schofield was warned about the potential dangers of television and cautioned to stay away. Today she is surprised and overjoyed that people are flocking to Seventh-day Adventist churches across the country because of television. It's the most humbling experience to see. It's just television, said Coralie, who has a front row seat as the wife of Neil Schofield, manager of Hope Channel New Zealand, the local affiliate of the Adventist Churches International Channel. When I was growing up in the Adventist church, my television viewing was cautiously monitored, said Coralie, who oversees correspondence for Hope Channel. But now, viewing choices have expanded. You've got an Adventist channel that is witnessing 24-7. Viewers approach Coralie and her husband at Sabbath worship services around New Zealand. At one church, an older couple told how an adult daughter had been flipping through the channels and stopped on Hope Channel. Soon she was watching regularly, and she told her parents and sister about the channel. The whole family began to watch. Now the four are baptised, Coralie said. At another church, Coralie heard about a woman who walked in off the street one Sabbath and asked for Bible studies. When the pastor arrived at her home, he found eleven women waiting to study the Bible. The woman had invited ten friends. Half of them have been baptised now. Hope Channel began free-to-air broadcasts across New Zealand in 2016 with help from a 13th Sabbath offering. Today it has a monthly viewership of about 200,000 people, or 5% of the population according to market researcher Nielsen.
The Adventist Church was about 12,000 members in New Zealand, a country with a highly secularised society where the church has struggled to make inroads. Viewers surface in unexpected places. While flying domestically, Neil Schofield was working on his laptop and a fellow passenger saw the Hope Channel logo on his screen. Are you associated with Hope Channel? the stranger asked. The man introduced himself as a pastor of another Christian denomination in Auckland and said that he and his 15- and 18-year-old daughters watched only Hope Channel. I just find it very humbling to be part of the process, to meet these people and see the absolute joy on their faces, Coralie said. It is like they've come home. And you may be aware, you may not be aware, that this service of the reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide is transmitted from Hope Channel Australia. And many of you who listen as the audio podcast get it from that source when you click on the website. Sorry for that little commercial, but I trust that this week you will have a great Sabbath. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.